Welcome to the Truth CSGO Podcast, episode 84. Today we're talking Blast Pro Copenhagen, Star Series I-League Season 8, 100 Thieves by Renegades, and a whole lot more. Hey guys, this is Electro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Fair. Code Zero. Flusher. This is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the Truth? The Truth. The Truth. The Truth. The Truth. The Truth CSGO Podcast. The Truth CSGO Podcast. The Truth CSGO Podcast. Are we rushing in? Or are we going sneaky-beaky-like? Welcome to the Truth CSGO Podcast, coming to you live from Kichicho and Subiraku in eastern Tokyo, the home of sumo wrestling. It's a beautiful autumn day, and I'm here until January. So if you're in Tokyo, I'm in your city. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Coffee, for those times when you really just want to strip all the flesh from your insides. Excelsior Coffee, cheaper than an enema. Blast Pro Copenhagen played itself out this weekend. The blast that started it all was back, and it was won by FaZe, who took the $125,000 over Ninjas in Pajamas in a pretty close grand final. It's kind of amazing that FaZe was in the grand finals at all, uh, considering how poor they'd looked since they choppered Cold Zero into Serbia to have saunas with Nico and YNK. But they absolutely dominated this tournament from the start. They beat Australia 16-2, Na'Vi 16-9, and Ninjas uh, early on in a best of one, 16-3. Nico got the MVP with a 1.33 rating. He went monster. I think 1.6 was uh, at least... Well, he got at least 1.6 in over three of the matches. Now, this is hard to think of Blast as having a really huge amount of weight uh, in terms of how teams are going. The format's so schizophrenic. In fact, you can see it uh, just in the fact that uh, FaZe won Blast Miami earlier in the year and haven't really done much since. But I think perhaps the way the format is so schizophrenic could be a good thing for FaZe. This might be why they sometimes look so good because they're not really a prep-heavy team in the way that Astralis is. These guys have more reactive, instinctive players with um, what seems to be at this point Teflon Egos. So these guys are now at the top of the leaderboard for the Blast series, what do you call it, points, tally thing, or whatever. Um, I think the um, from memory, I know I did a whole episode on Bahrain, but I think that's where the finals are going to be played out. And so FaZe are probably the top seed at this point for that. And I think they pipped Liquid, who were previously the top seed. They are now coming second in the leaderboard for Blast Pro grand final or whatever it's going to be at the end of the year now notable losers at this tournament were Astralis who I suppose can't deal with performing in front of family and friends if you recall last Blast Pro Copenhagen they also managed to do a poo poo in the bed Uh, Liquid didn't seem so good here in fact they seem to have disappeared a little bit in confidence as if there's sort of only so much confidence floating around in NA at the moment and perhaps Evil Geniuses currently have all the suppliers locked down. They did actually beat FaZe in the best of one, but it was a match that didn't matter, so it's uh, hard to really say what that says at all. And speaking of NA, Cloud9 came last. They didn't manage to win any games. I think they tied someone, and they had a close game against FaZe. I think they tied MRBR. But these guys looked absolutely disastrous, and there's been rumours, actually, in the last few days that there's some uh, dissent going on between the team and the organisation. This was linked to a report... Um, I think it was from Dot Esports or VP or one of those sites. They was talking about the fact that they have pulled out of DreamHack Atlanta, despite only having uh, confirmed their invitation and presence at that tournament, I think about uh, 10 or 12 days ago. So something's going on in that camp. This is definitely not a happy time. Um, and a more positive note, Na'Vi looks slightly better here at Copenhagen. But Guardian, 
still looked borderline suicidal. I think that man is depressed as hell. Uh, if you didn't have to see the uh, one-on-one aim map, these guys played it against Astralis, and it was fun, mostly because it was simple versus uh, Zonic in the Deagles. Uh, but the part, the uh, section with Guardian versus Dupree was um, was objectively uh, horrifying for someone as big a fan of Guardian as I am. The guy looked like he has sort of no friends on the team, uh, and the joy's been sucked out of his life. And without anything, without knowing anything that's actually going on in his personal 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 life, I should say, um, you know, if this is what the team chemistry or the team atmosphere has created in this man. This is seriously disastrous for Na'Vi going ahead unless something's done about it. I think possibly I speculated on Reddit in a thread about Guardian that it could be coming into a team where you are replacing essentially someone who was orping previously and on a very high level too, obviously simple. Uh, It adds a huge amount more pressure for you to pick up the big green weapon and get a lot of results with it that's not happening he's whiffing a whole whole lot of easy shots which just tells me that he's not comfortable i imagine that the pressure on him could be what's causing this comfort but who knows uh we're going to talk about those guys a little bit more when we get to the end of star series i league in a moment ninjas in pajamas looked a lot better here and it was lovely to have some casting um back from semler Similar, of course, cast at Star Series and again here in Copenhagen. I don't think Henry G is the right partner for him, actually. I feel like they're slightly in a different time zone, metaphorically speaking. But he's come back with a huge amount of confidence and positivity and excitement uh, at uh, seeing how the meta's evolved, the players evolved. And that's awesome to have. Now, that's basically it for Copenhagen. Um, I think the Blast Pro actually... For me, I've never really been that negative about the whole format. I've never really been that negative about uh, what they've been trying to do in terms of monopolizing things. And probably it's because I'm a sucker for the UI uh, and the aim, the one-on-one aim challenge. And it's amazing to me that the other tournaments have not stepped up their game in this regard. How difficult is it to make a, a better, better-looking UI, a clearer UI? How difficult is it to schedule something like a one-on-one aim duel at your tournament? Uh, so I think they've got a clear advantage in terms of the fact that they are obviously willing to try new things um, as compared to, let's say, even just a tournament like Star Series. Anyway, uh, let's get to the Omen Challenge. In between Star Series and Blast, we had the Omen Challenger Series, and this was a little tawny playing out in Jakarta, Indonesia, for $50,000. It was won by Greyhound, and it was basically an Oceanic Asian region-type tournament. We had teams from Southeast Asia, Japan, Korea, China, and the UAE. Greyhound managed to beat Alpha Red in the final. They scooped themselves 20K. So this is not a big tournament, but what I think is cool about it is that it really solidifies the notion that Greyhound is basically the number one Oceanic team right now uh, and they've had an incredible run against all the Australian teams in the last month or so. What's cool too is that Inns is looking like a really good addition uh, since he joined this roster in September. He was one of the standout players at this tournament and as I was saying last last episode, I think this is 
the, the strength of these results, even though they weren't that great in the finals, they still managed to take it. And the strength of these results and previous, most recent ones, especially against the Australian teams, just speaks volumes for how much the experience of playing in overseas lands contributes to these guys' confidence when they come back and play uh, some of the more, how do we say it, uh, familiar teams. So good on them. Let's move on to Star Series I-League Season 8. So we spoke about this last week in terms of the teams that were there and weren't there. This was, of course, a $500,000 tournament in uh, Belek in Turkey. And it was won by evil geniuses who proved that New York was no fluke. They got themselves $250,000 for winning this and beat Fnatic in a grand final who took $80,000, proving that Malmo for them was also no fluke, or at least that the honeymoon period that they are in still has some passion to be played out. Ethan from Evil Geniuses won the MVP with a 1.24 rating. He's only 19 years old. I spoke to him at IEM back in 2017, so I guess he must have been 17 at that point. Uh, Lovely cat. Lovely kid, um, very humble, pretty quiet, and uh, finding his feet in the world. So that's really exciting for him. He's been one of their most consistent players, really, actually, since the uh, DAPS lineup was formed. And if we start seeing the sort of superstar performances out of him, we've been seeing with Breezy and Zerk, uh, Zerk, Zerk, then this team is going to maintain this number one position, which they now have as a result of this win. I think they're number one, Furia might be number two, and then I guess Liquid number four, which makes Astralis number two. So what an incredible um, end to the year we're getting with the teams battling it out for number one. Now third at this tournament was Furia, which was a bit of a surprise too to people like me who'd been sort of wondering whether they had what it takes to get back into some sort of competitive form. Now, other than Keiserato being the absolute Zywu of this team, seriously, he was playing lights out. I don't know if you uh, managed to catch... Well, I don't know how I would know, but I don't know if you managed to catch the series between Furia and Fnatic in the semis, but he basically single-handedly carried this team on so many clutches. Um, but other than him, they seem to have found another dimension to their play, and it appears to have come on the back of Henny joining... And he even said in an interview with HLTV that he was teaching the boys a few more tricks. Um, <laughs> the tricks appear to be uh, going slow instead of just always going fast. There's probably a lot more than that, but it seems that he's been a bit of a stabilizing factor on this team, which is awesome. These guys also beat Ensign Malmo, we should note. So it wasn't just that this tournament they sort of pull out all stops. Um, it could be that they've got more staying power than we might have thought. There is no word still on Abel J, the young lad who was kicked for Henny. Uh, I guess he's still currently disabled J on the five-year bench. Hope he's got a cushion for that Brazilian bot-bot. Fourth in the tournament here was Renegades. Renegades played the best tournament we've seen from them in a long while. They are looking hot to trot. Coming up at uh, to IEM Beijing, of course, they are now called 100 Thieves, but we'll get to that in a moment. These guys are looking like they're on a bit of a tear. Gratis Faction, in particular, stepped up to the burnished plate. According to him, his increase in uh, skill at this tourney was mentality and confidence. <sighs> Those intangibles. Now, it's, it's always hard for me to know whether or not these guys who say these things in interviews actually really don't know what it is. Uh, that's causing the confidence or simply don't want to talk about it in interviews um, or are being, you know, secretive for competitive uh, reasons. 
But um, I guess at least he knows that uh, it was mentality and confidence, even if perhaps he doesn't know the exact cause of why that goes up and down. Anyway, uh, Renegade still lost to Furia, uh, but they'd beaten MIBR in a best of three in the same day. And if you saw this match, you would know what happened in the after interview because Azur basically looked like he was ready to go to bed, <laughs> uh, despite the fact there was still another best of three to go. Um, so I think some, some uh, how do you call it, time issues, time zone issues there might have been a factor in those guys actually not making it through because they were looking so good, which which is why I'm putting basically as much of that core as I can stuff into my fantasy league uh, to win uh, or to do big things at IEM Beijing because it's more or less uh, pretty on the mark as far as their time zone goes, or at least their native time zone. I know those guys usually spend most of their time in the US these days, but surely that kind of stuff is a little bit, um, you know, in the soul. I'm talking nonsense here. Um, there was some interesting research I did a little while ago, and I posted it on my Twitter at one point in time. I should dredge it out. But it's it's down to the it's about the idea of performance and how much time zone can really affect teams and the difference in time zones. And even if one team has one is one hour closer to being awake, let's say it's uh, three o'clock for one team and four o'clock for another, that team has a significant and observable difference in the amount of points they scored when observed in NFL between NFL teams. It was um a set of data done over about six years between teams that played a home game and teams that uh, drove or flew um, from across the country with an hour's difference. So that's a huge thing, and I think we laugh it off or write it off a lot of the time, especially when we're talking about people like Australis who are getting sort of all sorts of um, invasive uh, massages (laughs) Uh, when they're flying to different places, but we can't underestimate how much of a big difference it makes. Other stories of note here at Star Series were Navi. Star Series, uh, sorry, I should say Navi came in dead last alongside the Chinese teams. Now, as I said, they didn't do so bad in Blast Pro Copenhagen, but it wasn't like they massively improved. These guys lost to G2 and Heroic here. Guardian in particular had a very bad game. This is where the uh, suicidal notions really uh, took root. Um, a referee, actually, at Star Series leaked that these guys were having problems, that Simple was getting angry, that Guardian was tilting like he was playing pinball, and Blade was telling Boomich to get his shit together and start acting like a captain, like an IGL on the server, not just the most huggable CSGO player since Freiburg. Uh, he was actually fired later on by Star Series, but um, despite Simple's best efforts to come out and say that that wasn't exactly what was going on, it was pretty obvious that there wasn't something uh, good happening behind the scenes with this team uh, these guys are definitely not world beaters and they should be they should be interesting though to note Simple has re-signed his contract uh, with Navi so I don't actually know how long that is I don't have it down in my notes maybe like a year a year and a half two years uh, it wasn't it wasn't a short period of time let's put it that way uh, but these guys beat Furia, Evil Geniuses, and were eventually beaten by MIBR. Now, Vitality actually looked worse here with Shocks. I don't know what's happened with that team. They've sort of gone backwards slightly. Maybe it definitely was. Maybe maybe definitely, possibly, uh, surely it was <laughs> the end of their little honeymoon era, and they're actually going to have to do some real work now. MIBR, who I was just having a pure existential crisis over last podcast, looked here like something was actually finally gelling. Perhaps, 
Like maybe Fallen's getting okay with KNG doing a bit of orping. Avangar also came at the middle of the pack here. They were eliminated by Furia. This is a shame for these guys. I think they've still got some great elements, but they just don't seem to be innovating or practicing at the same level as the other orgs. And there was also a rumor that came out recently, and forgive me for not remembering exactly where I saw it. Um, it wasn't just someone, some rando tweeting it. It was one of those insider dudes, I think, from the CIS region. Uh, he was speculating, or she perhaps, that there was uh, Virtus Pro were actually looking to pick up the entire Avangar lineup which would be sad. Sad. I want to see Snatchy and Snacks and the rest of them just do something. I mean, they've had a lot of chances. They did beat Phase 2-1 on a recent online match, but come on. Don't pick up a Vanguard. Let a Vanguard be. Make something out of Virtus Pro. Make something with the Polish players. Um, North looking piss poor here at Star Series, really, considering they just added Cajun B and he came out saying how the chemistry is so good. Now, a lot has been said about Yugi and his underperformance. I don't know whether Yugi's really underperforming that much. I think the problem is when Yugi was an optic and heroic, heroic specifically, he was such a baller. He was so amazing. Um, And I can back that up with figures. When he was on Heroic, he had a 1.17 rating. When he was on Tricked before that, he had a 1.23. Now, Tricked was obviously against lower tier opposition, but Heroic wasn't. That was 1.17. When he was at Optic, he was 1.09, and I have very clear memories of him doing absolutely insane things with his AWP. And all I've had since he joined uh, North, at least in the matches I've seen, has been a lot of whiffs, uh, a lot of awkwardness, out-positioning, and just general uh, fumblery. Tom Fulrui. He's had 175 days on North, and he has 1.02 rating. I think he had about a, one, uh, a 0.98 rating at this tournament. So actually, his numbers aren't that bad when you consider um, 0.98 being really just pretty much average. I think we did talk about Gratisfaction's underperformance recently, and he was definitely not that high. Uh, but what's crazy about him, when you look at this, his results and the point, numbers he's putting up, he is so wild and erratic in the in the results. Like, he'll go 0.55, and then the next match, or even just the next map in a match, he'll go 1.08. He'll go 0.44, and then 1. It's just red, black, red, black. It's not like there's no consistency. Um, and I don't know whether this is his mentality or the positioning that he does on a map or the fact that North is not... Uh, solid enough with their roles. So there's something going on here. And for the decline that I was mentioning in terms of going from Trick to Heroic, Optic, uh, and to this rating in North, for a decline like that, you'd think he'd be someone who was, you know, in their late 20s perhaps and, and really facing a lot more responsibilities or slowing down of reflexes or whatever other nonsense, you know, people put up. Uh, but this guy's 22. And... North is basically the best he's going to get in terms of uh, opportunities for a Danish roster. Unless you're a blame F and you decide to um, go to NA. But it does raise a lot of questions. What What is going on here with this team? What is going on here with Yugi? He still hasn't got a, got a trophy uh, in his career. He's got two seconds and five thirds. So it could be that it's simply a confidence thing. And perhaps uh, if North... Someone just fell over. If if North are able to get themselves just a little squeak out a little dream hang open or something or a little um, you know, even something like the Omen Challenger, maybe that's the confidence they need. Uh, some people calling for MSL to come in and replace Yugi. I don't know why we we would be going back to that old that old uh, narrative. 
MSL is, of course, an AWPA. Uh, I don't think he's the greatest AWPA, but we've seen when he can anti-strat people, he certainly can get things done. Um, that just, to me, seems like let's just go back into the old inkwell. I think there's something else that's rotten on this team, um, and perhaps it comes down to a coach. Don't know. Don't know. Now, this is the end of the Star Series bit. There's an immense amount of CS played because this is a double elimination format with all matches, best of threes. I don't know about you, but I got seriously burned the hell out by watching as much of it as I could. Uh, With IEM Beijing coming up, maybe I can um, watch it all, but definitely not the whole thing at this point. So therein marks the end of some serious hardcore CS watching, at least for the moment. One hundred thieves have purchased Renegade's CS:GO roster. This happened last week, and I believe that the organization paid about two point five million dollars for the five players and Kassad, the coach. This is one hundred thieves' first re-entry into the CS:GO scene after picking up the older Mortals guys who imploded from the antics of KNG before they could even play a single official match. That run of uh, hundred thieves in CS:GO lasted thirty-one days. Let's hope this lasts a little bit longer. Actually, a few months ago, DK earmarked this as his best deal for the teams looking out there, uh, teams out there looking to get into the CS:GO space. And this was primarily because not only were Renegade's contracts nearing, <coughs> pardon me, uh, renewal, but also these team, these guys were a team on the ascendance, and also they have a very solid core. Azur and JKS have been with this team way back when it was Vox Eminor. So this is exciting uh, because we saw how quickly the evil geniuses rebranding made such a psychological difference for the NRG players. And I'd sound, I sound like I'm kidding right now, but I actually think it had a part to play in them winning New York. They signed to evil geniuses, what, like three, four days prior? I mean, what it says, for starters, is that you're worth a huge amount of money, right? $2.5 million. I think Evil Geniuses was three. $2.5 million is a colossal amount of money. Um, I don't know whether it actually makes financial sense without knowing how much players make, uh, how much teams can make off uh, players in terms of sponsorships or future projections or, you know, uh, prize money. I don't really know if that's worth it. Probably it isn't in terms of you know return in the next year on or, or, or two years afterwards so you firstly got that in terms of the player's confidence secondly you have the freshness of a really branding um which you know the freshness that a player can feel we've seen how much it contributes to feeling good uh when you're playing cs in fact there was a thread just posted recently on reddit about the idea that you have a break and when you come back you really dominate at the start until you know maybe a week two weeks later you're back to sort of (laughs) parking at the same golden over level that you used to be so i think this is going to be a refreshing uh, moment for Renegades potentially and it's not just the merch I've never really liked the Renegades merch myself it was a bit too maroon for me uh, and the Cowboys just didn't kind of really make sense 100 Thieves is a lot more modern looking it's a lot slicker it's got a little bit more cachet if this does have a psychological effect on the team then I think they probably have a very good chance at winning IEM Beijing Windigo have announced that they are leaving CSGO completely. These guys just lost their star player Poison to Crazy, 
And apparently that seems to have been the nail in the coffin because the CEO of Windigo, Maxim Badarsky, who incidentally used to be the CEO of Hellraisers, came out and said that they haven't been paid from several tournaments in terms of the prize money. And that includes WESG, which was over six months ago. He does go on to say in a little statement that he released to Reddit that Poison is leaving and we already have an agreement for his contract. We knew he will not stay. That's why we cannot build a relevant team with only only with couple players on contract. That's uh, as you wrote it. So that actually sounds a bit like some of the players got bought out like Poison uh, and these guys didn't want to rebuild with what they had or keep the players, uh, some of whom really didn't have the same cachet as Poison, on a salary while they rebuilt. So Maxim's going to create another organization in Ukraine. Good on him. Uh, Now, Windigo, if you don't really really realize the significance of this, you may not be alone. The biggest thing they did was winning WESG last year, but they began in October 17th by acquiring the ex-Outlaws roster. And ex-Outlaws, well, Outlaws themselves, were actually Cirque's breakout team. He was uh, poached from the ex-Outlaw guys by by Daps, pretty much, who had heard about him, saw the demos, and brought him over. They had several transfers since he left, but at the time of the disbandment, uh, Windigo was Bubble, Blocker, Poison, Haji, and Murbit with the coach Shockwave. So who knows what's going to happen with the rest of those guys. Haji, poor old Haji's been around and about, hasn't he? Had a bit of a uh, pinball time. And I think Poison looks like he's going to... Um, where's he going? Oh, I've gotten this wrong. It wasn't Poison who went to crazy. It was Ships who went to crazy. And Poison, who seems to have been poached by OG for their new team. Screwed that one up there. But, uh, yeah, we did see Ships recently in uh, Rotterdam. That's right, with crazy, when he absolutely went off. And he seems like an incredible pickup for those guys. We did see him really kind of have his big first debut like crazy moments um at the wesg competition so it's a shame for these guys because they had a immediate position at next year's wesg and who knows how uh wily maxim is but perhaps he can keep that with whatever new roster he pulls out of the ground in the ukraine in other news the csgo community is crying out for the sg to be nerfed the sg is of course known as the krieg to the older players. There's people such as Sponge, Freiburg, Cooper, Daps crying out on Twitter. Commenter Dust Moret says, it's unreal that the SG has still not been addressed. Sponge says, uh, no, Daps says, it costs $50 more than an AK and shoots faster, has a scope and is easier to spray. With the way money works, people are buying SGs on round two even if they lose the first round. Now, I... I don't really have too much of an opinion about this. I can see in the tournaments that once you get an SG, at least the way that people are playing it right now, there's a definite advantage in terms of the duels over AKs and M4s and perhaps things become a little bit one-sided. But there is something innately ridiculous about the whole situation and especially about how urgent it suddenly seems to be. (laughs) for the pro scene as an issue because this has been the same for years now the speed at which it can be bought obviously is not Uh, that only came about with the money changes when was that last year but the specs and the price of this gun has not changed for a long time and what's interesting too is that when when i got back into csgo 
a few years ago, the SG and the AUG were immediately the first guns I picked up and used because it was so much easier to aim with them. And then it's like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm no better than anyone here. I'm just a bunch of, um, you know, I'm just a sheep myself um, like the rest of us. But it's like at some point, you know, after you join and kind of work out what Counter-Strike is and how people play it, it's like, all right, I guess I should use the M4 and the AK because they're the, they're the big guns or they're the adult guns or I don't know. That's what you're supposed to use. And I actually used to exclusively use the SG on cash because cash was the, I don't know, to me it was much more of an aim-heavy map than um, Mirage and Train and stuff. And I never played Dust 2. I, I mean, I did it occasionally, but I didn't like to play it because probably it is just so aimy. But anyone who used to play with me recall that I always bought SGs on cash because you've got so many mid-range jewels and, in fact, so many jewels in general. I, this sh- something should have clicked for me in that it was much easier for me to get kills with that gun in general. But for some reason, we just accept what metas are um, and go along with them. And it does make you think, how many metas are we just going along with in our life? Like, why do we just do what everyone else does? I go to the supermarket. I went to the supermarket this morning in uh, Tokyo, bought myself some eggs, uh, what I buy some bread, some vegetables. Why did I do that? I don't know. I saw my parents doing it. I see other people doing it, I guess. Is that what I want to eat? I guess. I haven't really thought about it. What a bunch of sheep we all are. I'm going to get in there before the MP5 becomes the new meta. MP5, vastly underrated. Um, and I'm going to call for it to be nerfed. Mark my words. October 2020. It'll be everyone's going to be up in arms for the MP5 and the ridiculous advantage it gives people on the CT side. Now, a few episodes ago, we reported that Codewise Unicorns had sponsored Taz's team, Aristocracy, the Polish team. These guys have actually just decided to drop them. Uh, it appears to have been somewhat of a surprise to Taz and the boys, but they only had one best of three in August. And they were signed, I believe, by Codewise Unicorns in July. They then went on an up-and-down string of matches against Tier 3 teams, so I'm not very surprised. Although it sucks for Taz, but that's all I have to say about it. In other news, I got CSGO playing on my PSP. (laughs) If you're on my Twitter, you would have seen... Uh, I have a, what do you call it, a hacked PSP. You can play like homebrews on it. Uh, And there's two people out there who've converted Counter-Strike to the old PSP. I think it's it's probably like 8, 10, when when did the PSP come out? 2007 or something? So at least 12 years old now. uh, And someone's ported 1.6 over to it. And another guy's done like a a top-down conversion. That's all I have to say about that as well. But if you have a PSP, you can play CS 1.6. In fact, if you happen to be in Tokyo, Japan, and you have a hacked PSP, get in touch. Let's meet up and play some 1.6 over LAN on our PSPs. So part of the uh, things I've had going on this week not only include moving my life to Tokyo for a bit, but... This girl who I've been seeing for various reasons uh, I had to break up with 
she was very dear to me. Um, and when we broke up, I brought up my concerns a couple of weeks in advance and was very open about it. And a few days before I left, I broke up with her in the way that, uh, to be honest with you, I'd always wanted to be broken up with. Um, I didn't, you know, it was very civil. Uh, I was very honest about how I felt and my concerns. Um, but it was still really sad and I'm really going to miss her. And I, there are a lot of reasons, but basically my worry for the future outweighed my joy in the present. Um, and we talked about the things we would miss about each other and the good times we'd had and what we'd enjoyed about the other person. It was very positive and it, as far as I was concerned. And afterwards, when I spoke to my friends and family about it, I told them that it had gone really well. But then two days later, I got this really horrible message from her blaming me for all sorts of things, calling my actions very cruel and selfish and accusing me of not giving her a voice, uh, of assuming things that she might have felt and of breaking up with her when it was suitable for me and not for her. All sorts of really, like, really horrible stuff. And the details here aren't that important because they don't really make any sense. What's important is how clear it made to me the ways in which we put our hurt onto other people and the way that technology facilitates this. So I, I'm not, I'm not only am I not, like, uh, do I not think the details are interesting or important to you, but I don't actually think they're that interesting or important to me. What, what I got from this is really that she felt really sad and really hurt and suddenly decided that she, that, that I was acting like an asshole or she would decide that I would act like an asshole or that I had acted like an asshole, which allowed her to be really rude and horrible towards me. Um, and what, what what's interesting is like I, I, I question about whether or not in the past we could have done this or we would have done this. See, when I was growing up, someone dumped you and that was it. All you had to do was sort of avoid them physically and you'd never be in danger of this sort of exchange. And I don't mean just mean like avoiding someone that you dumped, but also avoiding someone who dumped you. And ideally, in the past, you'd have enough people around who you could talk to about your feelings so that you could diffuse them um, and you could get another perspective from which to see them and sort of triangulate you know, the points of view you had. Uh, and I remember back when I was younger writing letters to some girls that I never sent uh, and and later still in my 20s, sort of writing emails to uh, some girls that I never sent as well. And I think you have to do something like that. Uh, and, and, and maybe you have friends that that takes the place of. But either way, it's like after you get broken up with, you have so much to say, it feels like. If you've been broken up with, you might identify with this. You have so many little points to make. Uh, you know, like when we're in the car, you said this. It was wrong because I don't think that. I think this. And you kind of want to argue all these hypothetical situations and points with someone, you know, after the relationship's over um, and none of it actually matters anymore. So it's really good to get that stuff down because otherwise it feels like you are unfairly treated. But communicating that with the person really only makes the ending of something that much more thorny because at the end of the day, what that person has said is that this is not right for me um, and I can't go on. And of course, it's selfish uh, that's the definition of doing something uh, that you want. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. But I think what the tech does that we have now in our, in our phones and whatnot um, is make it so much easier to write and send that message or those messages um, or those arguments without even thinking about it. 
So the brain uh, we have in our hedules has evolved, roughly speaking, from the back to the front. So our most reptilian parts are way at the very back of our head and our civilized sort of long-term thinking, imaginative parts are at the front, essentially. And texting and tweeting sometimes feels like they're basically wired directly into the back part (laughs) of our heads, which is why I think the infantilization of society seems so strongly illustrated in the ways that we use social media. Now, infantilization suggests that we are being infantilized. But what I mean actually is that it appears that our society is becoming more infantilized or is demonstrating more infantile characteristics as time goes on. I'm going to talk about this next episode, I reckon, because I've got a mate who made a very interesting list of what ways in which we are infantilized. And look, playing Counter-Strike is one of those reasons. Putting Counter-Strike on your PSP <laughs> is definitely one of those reasons. So I'm included in this uh, group. I'm one of the sh- I'm one of the sheep. Remember. Uh, anyway, it's not social media in this instance that makes us dumber or more infantile. It's that I think we all have infantile idiots in our heads still, right? We all still have those reptilian br- parts, and yet the speed involved in the communication of the tweets and texts sometimes makes it too fast for the front of our heads to kind of catch it before it goes out into the world, which is why I reckon we get people on the internet in their 40s acting like 12-year-old trolls. And we get people in their 50s raging like toddlers on Twitter. And we get heartbroken people in their 20s and 30s sending each other text messages that sound like melodramatic 13-year-olds whose entire world has suddenly been revolving around their crush. Um, and, you know, the type of crush who sits on the other side of the room in history class and doesn't even know they exist. <sighs> So we need some sort of hijack um, between some sort of failsafe between the front and the, and the rear parts of the brain. This is where I think actually neural uh, interfaces are going to make a big difference to us in the future. And in fact, the biggest difference, I reckon, I don't know if you guys have heard about Elon Musk's neural uh, Neuralink, but basically what we can put down in the brain, well, what we've been able to put in the brain for the last, like, I don't know, 10 years, has been a very small amount of electromagnetic sensors that can pick up some of the brain activity and identify patterns in terms of where that activity is going on. So if there's a burst of activity, say, in the left middle side of our brain, that might identify as us thinking of um, pictures, right? A little burst in a particular part on the right side might uh, indicate we're thinking of loved ones and family. So it can pick up things like that. But the very, very small, very, very clumsy amounts of information that it can get, specifically because the way you know to, to get it done, we kind of have to open the brain up and put these things directly onto the brain, these sensors. Now, Musk's Neuralink has taken a huge leap forward in terms of the amount of sensors we can get onto the brain, I think. Previously in the past, we've able been able to put like 100 maybe, and he's now, these guys are now able to put 10,000, which means the resolution of the thoughts we can pick up essentially are a lot uh, higher, which means that that part that we thought, um, you know, part of the brain that picked up pictures now, we can delineate between pictures of animals and pictures of, say, places. <clears throat> what this means as well is that we are going to be able to identify when we are making decisions with the rear part of our brain without the frontal lobe being activated whatsoever. And we can be alerted of the fact that this decision may require actually more thought than 
<laughs> we are giving it at this point in time. That to me is like the best possible use of us becoming, uh, what do you call it? So, what are we called when we're cyber, um, when we're augmented people? You know what I'm talking about. The um, people in uh, Blade Runner with that. Cyber, um, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, it's basically adding another, another layer, layer of civilization on us and it's, it's, it's something inside us that's parenting us. That to me is the only solution for the ability that the digital world gives us to act out all our infantile uh, and immature and poorly thought out communications. Uh, you heard it here first. Neuralink and Elon Musk will be the solutions to toxicity on Twitter. Oh, I guess there's one more thing I should mention, and the word toxicity made me remember it. It was announced uh, maybe a week or two weeks ago that Faceit were incorporating an anti-toxicity AI into their platform and had recently experienced a lot of success with this anti-toxicity program, which appears to be based on a very uh, sort of low-level, well, entry-level, I should say, Google API, which is identifying... Um, toxic words essentially there's been a bit of uh, backlash towards this because what this means is that there's potential for people being caught up in this algorithm who are not being toxic and in the context of things are are not um, meaning to I don't know yeah being, being misunderstood basically in the context of things what I think the the what's being missed in the argument here is the fact that people can be misunderstood in context of things, even if there's a human being who's doing uh, censoring. All algorithms take a long time to learn, so there could be a period where yes, people do go uh, do get misunderstood in in using this thing and are unfairly flagged by the service as being toxic. I think, though, the only solution for changing behaviors in a digital space are through algorithms. There is simply no way that humans are going to be keeping, uh, going to be putting up with the amount of data that we create online. Is it a good thing? Potentially not, uh, because algorithms are simply learning off a data set that they're given and an agenda that the company is given. The issue comes down to the fact that face it may be the only platform that you are able to play. So there's no problem with Faceit, which is a private company, uh, using their own algorithm to weed out sorts of behavior, the sorts of behavior that they don't want on it. Um, and if you sign up to that service, you obviously sign your, you know, you agree that this is going to happen. The problem is if Faceit has a monopoly on that sort of a thing, then you it is and you want to play you know a game in some sense it is curtailing behavior that could actually be legitimate but on the edgier side of things which means that unless there are competitors who provide uncensored alternatives and let's say this is a big enough platform like not face it or let's say it's something like facebook or instagram then you've got some uh, potential issues uh, with the censoring of the way we, you know, live our lives. I think for something like Face It, it's fine. I think something like this is actually probably inevitable. And it's it's interesting because I don't talk about toxicity much in this podcast at all. And it was actually one of the focuses when this podcast started. I had Toxic Players of the Week every week uh, and I was constantly bemoaning the fact that it was so toxic. 
it's obviously part of, uh, of Valve's AI algorithm that I do not get the same toxicity when I'm playing as I used to get. For one, I'm very happy of it. I haven't been uh, fallen afoul to any sort of misunderstanding, uh, but I can definitely see how that happens. And I think all we can ask for for these companies is that they have a dedicated team who are constantly working on the algorithm because right now the way neural networks work, they're not good enough and they uh, to, to just you know, be the bosses of themselves. They require a lot of supervision, constant massaging. We've seen, especially uh, in the realms of, <clears throat> what's it called? Surveillance, that the data sets uh, create huge amounts of biases unless you're very, very particular about what you're putting into them. So as long as they're being monitored themselves from within the company, this is a good step forward, actually, for the Counter-Strike scene, and in fact, any online games. And that's it for the podcast. Let's just go to our final thought. Just before we get into this final thought, we have IEM Beijing coming up in a few days. There's eight teams. It's $250,000. We have EG, Astralis, Vitality, 100 Thieves, FaZe, and Ents. FaZe have just found some form in time for this, which is going to make this a cracker of a competition. The ongoing imprisonment of supposedly one million Uyghur in northern China continues in other news. DreamHack Open Atlanta is going to be shortly after. There's eight teams there for $100,000 including Crazy and Heroic and other qualified teams. As I mentioned before, Cloud9 have pulled out after only confirming on the 23rd of last month they are currently number 36. There's rumors that DAPS, Automatic, and Kustra are looking at jumping ship to another organization. That would be crazy. And so the final thought for this podcast is do not trust anyone who says utilize instead of use. It's unnecessary, which means that I would suspect they're trying to sound important or make what they have to say sound a little more interesting than it perhaps is. I have some skins in my Steam account to give away. I've been getting to give them away since the major. I won them in the you know the case drop things. I haven't done it because I've been procrastinating. So if I haven't done it by next week, just bug me. You can bug me on the Twitter at CSGO. Uh, the truth, uh, sorry, at the truth CSGO. Uh, the email is, is the truth at the truth CSGO.com. That's the website as well. And the Discord is on the Twitter. You can get involved in our fantasy league for IEM Beijing coming up. I've basically chosen the entire Renegades team. I'm sure you can do better than me. The Patreon is patreon.com slash the truth CSGO. Thanks to our supporters there for paying for the server costs. Until next time, enjoy the game. Enjoy the game.